I liked this episode a lot. I thought the first episode of this season, like I mentioned in the last episode, was like way too chaotic and really poorly paced. But I thought this was really engaging. I thought we spent enough time with all the characters. We had like a couple of those like 30 second teen wolf scenes that like pissed me off, but nothing too egregious. Yeah. I will also say that um, for as much as we've been like missing body horror this season, some really good body horror in this yeah, episode. Because there was not a lot of blood and guts last season, which no. like granted it would be kind of really gross if like everyone exploded into a pile of goop when they got shot by the ghost riders yeah it was not a necessity of the season i did appreciate seeing it we saw the puddle of blood and i was like hell yeah back (laughs) back on track teen wolf yes much as um spiders give me the creepy crawlies it's very effective oh yeah yes i think so too and i think that that is one of the smarter things about the season is like there are other ways you could have um sort of demonstrated like the infection of fear but i think the one of the most common fears ever is arachnophobia and to play into that is mm-hmm. was really smart yeah loved it um we have a lot to say about this episode we sure do but first and first mostly we have to do unfortunately as you probably already know the 60 second recap but luckily for me <laughs> and not julia uh, she's going first. I will say that this is the first time in um, possibly since the beginning of season five that I did not need another page for my notes. I didn't have that many either, which is yeah. like, again, that's actually the sign of a well-paced episode because they're not just cramming shit in with a shoehorn. Yeah, I that was not a complaint on my part. That no. was like a two thumbs up situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Here's the thing, Teen Wolf writers, the less you put in an episode, the less we have to complain about. <laughs> okay, typically my motto is more is more. More um, is more. <laughs> but, like, the more the readily they accepted. Are, the bigger they are. Yeah. But the better, more accepted term for, like, writing is less is more, and that is true. Yeah. More is more does not apply to Teen Wolf. Yeah. Um, can I just say... Yeah. On your record set, go. Okay, so Theo is sleeping in his car slash truck and uh, has no one to hang out with, and a spider gets under his skin, so he breaks into the vet clinic to get it out, and it goes poof. He's surrounded by a bunch of dudes with shotguns, and they start shooting, and cut to the credits. Scott's running through the woods, and he has flashbacks to the season one hunters, um, and he wants to bring the bullet to the Argents, and he hallucinates Hunter um, scopes and wolves out, but it's just the sheriff. They go to look where uh, Holwyn's body is, and he's uh, they're confused as to how he died. Liam and Mason are at lacrosse practice trying to figure out what escaped from the wild hunt, um, and Monroe was like, hey, you should come talk to me in counseling. Someone left a knife in her desk, which is really creepy. Um, the, there's a bunch of a lacrosse kid. This lacrosse kid who gets a bunch of spiders on his face. Lydia and Parrish is like, we need to go to Eichenhaus to figure out what escaped. Scott and Malia are looking for Argent, and they find him selling a bunch of guns after like breaking into the bunker. Um, Fenris shows Parrish around the Eichenhaus, which Halwyn built in 1912, apparently. Um, Liam, meanwhile, is doing lacrosse whatever stuff, and he wolfs out, and Brett's like, you got to get it together, buddy. Okay, that was it. I felt so good at the beginning, and then... Um, it's just the non-linear storytelling and I'm like, oh, but this happened and then this happened and then, oh, but then this happened in the other storyline. Yeah. 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 Every time. I don't know why I'm surprised. Uh, yeah, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) I I couldn't, couldn't help you with that one, huh? You'd think that we've been doing this for long enough, uh, that I would know, but now it is your turn. Okay. But I am going to very confidently say that you're going to do great. Aw. So, yeah. All right. You have a minute on the clock starting right now. Uh, so Theo is homeless and he, he uh, wakes up and there's spiders and then he gets it out and it goes poof and then he drives away and then there's a bunch of hunters and then Scott is running through the woods and has these major flashbacks about the season one hunters and then mistakes the uh, deputies for Argents and then tries to attack the sheriff and then he calms down and Malia's like, um, hell, hell, hello, what was that? And then he explains what happened to uh, the sheriff. Uh, Mason, and, Mason and Liam talk in the locker room about what's happening and, Mason, and Liam is like, Brett's going to help me with tryouts with the freshman and then a freshman gets like attacked by spiders. Monroe tells Liam to come talk to her and she's like uh he's like oh, okay and then there's a knife in her desk um scott and malia find can't find Argent, so they look in the bunker and then they break into his computer and then they find him at an arms deal that is like very like vigilante justice yikes a patient calls out for parish after he goes to investigate Li- uh, eichenhaus because lydia tells him that that's what she wants to do and he makes her stay in the police uh, pl- uh, the police station and then um he gets electrocuted by fenris and then uh lydia's like oh i gotta go looking for him and so she goes looking for him and then she finds fenris trying to kill him after she he's like i'm gonna kill all the supernaturals and then she attacks him. I okay. You did 
pretty darn good. Thanks. Would you like to finish up? Yeah. Okay. So uh, at the lacrosse uh, practice, Liam like can't deal and is like freaking out. And Brett's like, dude, I'm trying to help you gain control. You need to regain control. And Monroe was watching them from afar. Um, after practice, Monroe attacks Brett because she realizes he's supernatural and he runs away. Um, uh, Scott and <laughs> Malia break up the, um, uh, they don't really break it up. They actually just make it worse. The arms deal where Chris is like, you guys are like, I don't sell weapons to, I think he says weekend warriors. Um, so an arms dealer, but. An ethical one? Question no, mark. No, such there's thing. no such thing. Um, <laughs> he has his own also moral the code. army wouldn't be like meet us in this abandoned building. No. Um, they tell Chris about the bullet. He is he figures out how to. He's like, okay, I'll help you find it. He realizes it's silver, and he's like, this bullet was shot by somebody who's an amateur because any seasoned hunter would know that you don't use bullets. You don't can't actually kill werewolves with silver bullets. Um. Uh, Lydia comes home and tells Scott and Malia about what she saw at Eichenhouse and how afraid everyone's getting. And then they discuss the philosophy of fear. And then in the woods, Brett goes, Brett attacks Monroe. Um, cause she's also attacking him. Like, it's not like, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't doing that for fun. No. And then, uh, Gerard comes up, shoots him with an arrow and then says, you have raw talent. I, like you, assumed that her and Gerard were already in cahoots because like we said, we have no idea what happens in this season. So interesting to see them meet for the first time. Yeah, it also, like everything that she already knows suggests that she was already in contact with him, but clearly like the- Where is she getting Wolfsbane? Yeah, I don't know. It's very confusing. Um, So we're going to be talking about this episode- through the theme of isolation. I think isolation is the breeding ground of fear. Mm -hmm. Often people will bring that up as a talking point when they talk about how like bigotry can infect uh, like small town areas faster than like major cities where people are surrounded by people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting. I think that it also sort of um, is something that can do a little bit to humanize uh, our uh, villains in this season and I think that's what makes it such a complicated ask for the viewer uh, where would you like to start I think perhaps we could start with Theo since he opens this episode yes um, I was like so sad that he didn't come back <laughs> this is actually my favorite cold open I think in the series besides the cold open to 3B with with, with Styles and the Nightmares yeah yeah. Um, I would agree it's so quiet um and it goes it's really long which i appreciate Mm -hmm. um like we were saying we really appreciated the pacing of this and it kind of drives home the fact that um theo is completely alone in this world yeah um and he is not really in a position to be like part of the pack or going to school he's just sleeping in his truck yeah i mean it makes you incredibly vulnerable yeah and he i think it's funny because i would not have expected teen wolf to like actually um sort of make a comment on what it's like to be homeless of any kind and then the fact that he keeps being you know kicked out of wherever he's sleeping by the police he is has literally nowhere to turn and that's why it's a recurring cycle for him like that's an every night thing because he has nobody Mm -hmm. and if you had not already sort of forgiven Theo for whatever you hated him for in season five and season six because he becomes a more like rounded out character this is like a really good way to reintroduce him for this season's purposes because you are so sympathetic to that type of isolation yeah he also um looks really young in all of those shots um which i think furthers like the feeling of vulnerability and also like to be that isolated and to be that alone when you're a teenager a child is um almost more difficult because you're really a social creature and like you're still learning and growing and developing and theo is like facing the consequences of his actions in just the worst possible way yeah yeah. Um, and obviously he's a murderer. 
Yeah. No, we're not letting that slide. No, but I think that this is actually an interesting thing because you and I, like the Teen Wolf, <laughs> Teen Wolf, Free Wolf prison abolition era, you and I obviously like think that people are more than the worst thing that they've ever done. Yes. And that there is like, um, there should always, like people should be treated with the humanity that they are earned by their, that they earn by their existence. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a really interesting sort of way of examining that, that like, yeah, Theo is a murderer, but he's also a person. Yes. Yeah. And they, and they brought him back. So they have to deal with that fact. Yeah. Um, and I also will say that I think that this is really effective because the last time that we saw Theo in kind of like a quote, normal situation, I think about like his fake parents a lot. Um, and the fact that he just seemed to like live underground or whatever, like he's not tethered to the real world. Um, and instead of like trying to address all of that, they're like, Nope, he's homeless moving on. Yeah. Well, do you think that that's smart or do you think it, they, you wish they had examined those other ties or whatever? I think that that would have taken a long time (laughs) (laughs) and it wouldn't have been very good because I know what I know about this show. Yeah, well, and it's also, like, the last time we um, saw Theo's parents was, what, like, the third episode of Five? five? Yeah, Um, yeah, I think that this is just, it's kind of like when there's a real time jump on a series, like, don't ask questions. Yeah, you're right, I won't. Actually, (laughs) I won't. Yeah, I think this is a really good way to open the episode. I, again, wish he showed up again, but I really like that he sort of hovers over calling Scott and then just can't it because he doesn't really think he has an ally there yeah and his isolation puts him i mean like it is vulnerable to sleep in your truck no matter what yeah um but if he had called scott he might not have been in the situation where he is surrounded by a bunch of dudes with shotguns who just start shooting indiscriminately into his truck also like i don't know melissa seems to just take in children stray children (laughs) Yeah. yeah um I don't know. There's a reason why on the wiki, Theo is not listed as Scott's adopted brother. Yeah. Unlike Isaac. Isaac is. So, um, I wish Isaac had come back for this season. If Daniel Sharman isn't in the movie, I will understand why he made that career decision, but it will make me sad. Yes, I agree. Um, let's move on. Who would you like to talk about next? I want to talk about Scott. Scott is really struggling in this episode. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting to me, and I, I'm going to jump to the end of the episode and then work backwards. At the sure. end of the episode, you know, Malia finally is like, uh, what the hell was your freak out? And he is like, well, I was freaked. I was thought you were freaked out by my freak out, but I was really, like, messed up by the fact that I was hunted by the Argents. Mm-hmm. And she has to be like, yeah, I've been hunted before, before he sort of, like, lowers his shoulders a little bit. Mm-hmm. Scott spends this whole episode sort of, like, protecting an experience he's had because he feels like he's alone in it. Yeah, I think part of that has to do with the fact that he spends the majority of the episode with Malia, who um, he likes well enough, but we haven't seen a whole lot of, like, an emotional tie between them yet, and she's definitely, like, on the hierarchy of people that Scott would go to about his feelings. She's pretty much like at the bottom of the list not because he doesn't like her but because she wouldn't give him like what he needs for that um so I feel like he is with Malia but feels kind of isolated um in the sense that they don't have like that strong of a connection yet yeah yet um I will also say like I think that Scott sort of organizes the world between people who emotionally care for him and people who he emotionally cares for Mm -hmm. so like Styles, Lydia his mom Argent a little bit Deaton kind of they take care of Scott and then Scott who is the alpha takes care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think he kind of sees Malia as somebody he takes care of, not in the way that Styles did as far as like emotional needs goes, but I think that it would be a bird. He would feel a little bit like a burden. Like he already thinks that he has scared her because of that. Um, and I think that when you live your life like that, where you own like where your relationships can only be so reciprocal, of course that's isolating. And I think he has to confront that in this episode. Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, It also is putting him back into um, a position that he was in very early on 
and I think it's particularly effective with like the flashbacks to season one when Scott really had no idea what he was doing and he was going up against the Argents as opposed to like being aligned with them. Um, and we know how alone he felt in that moment. Um, so I think that's really effective to have all of those flashback scenes. Um, and the way that he is kind of hallucinating, um, the sheriff's deputies, um, flashlights to being scopes. Um, Mm -hmm. it's all just really evocative imagery. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is, like, he's having these flashbacks. He is briefly concerned that it was Argent who killed, um, what is the Hellhound's name? Halloween. Halloween. I I don't know why that, like, I got it. They say it one time. One time, you're right. Um, so he, uh, actually is, is even more so isolated by the fact that he is briefly like, have I lost this person in my life? Why would he do that? Why would Chris do mm-hmm. that? Is he reverting back to these old things? And so the fact that that assumption is coming with these um, flashbacks is so uncomfortable, you know? And I think it, sometimes when you feel that uncomfortable, you self-isolate, which Scott does do throughout this episode. And then in terms of Malia, she also is somebody who self-isolates inherently because she does not breed emotional connections in the way that like people who didn't grow up in the woods do. As a coyote. As a coyote. Um, she has to sort of, she's tries tiptoeing around it because Mm -hmm. she doesn't, like, I think she would be concerned if she, like, broached a big subject with Scott, but has removed herself from enough, like, emotional, like, conversations that she doesn't really even know how to interject herself into this problem. Yeah, um, weirdly enough, I do kind of see that as, um, a little bit of growth for her. Because I think Malia, fresh off of being a coyote, would have been like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Well, I think she would have, like, barely registered it being a problem because she was so, like, unempathetic. Uh, out of it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's that. But, like, either way, I don't think she would have been trying to, like, give Scott his space about it. Yeah. Um, like, she's very much trying to convey to him subtly that she's, like, I, if you want to talk about it, we can we can talk about it. But she feels him like emotionally isolating, um, and does not know how to break through that barrier. No, and when she does, it's great because she just sort of says, "Yeah, I don't know how to do this. Uh, tell me what's wrong." And I'm like, "That is ex- like that is the the sort of biggest thing about Malia's growth is like a self awareness of understanding like where her um sort of fall like her sort of drawbacks are in her." personal skills mm-hmm. and she just sort of has to push that put like push that aside to like meet scott where he's at and it ends up being a, a kind of a really cute moment because they're so awkward around each other where they're like we've never hung out hung out before <laughs> um <laughs> it's it's kind of lovely it was great to watch them spend this entire episode together yeah yeah i agree um, which is interesting because it actually let us see a little bit of what we were missing last season, which was Parrish and Lydia. Yeah. Um, obviously there's the whole... Do you remember <laughs> when we were like, wow, we haven't heard a siren in forever? There were a couple of really obnoxious ones today. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Stay safe, Chicago. Uh, constantly, always, even yeah. when there's no sirens. Constant vigilance. Just, you know, look both ways before you cross the street. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed seeing Lydia and Parrish um, in it's this episode. It's so insistent. <laughs> um, that's the worst, because you can tell that they, like, took the long way around yeah. instead of just going up our street. Yeah. And so it's still close enough that we're like, really? 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 Yeah. The fire better be huge. <laughs> I think it was a, a truck and an ambulance. Okay, well then I hope so, everyone's okay. Knock wood, fingers crossed. Um, I think that their dynamic is, I know. Okay, we've spent so much time being like Lydia and Farish, but but um, I really liked their dynamic in this episode, and um, yeah, it, it was just really great to see them interacting, and they're kind of the the only people who are not really. Um, intentionally isolating they are separated from each other yeah well I think given 
if I think given the opportunity, they would have both liked to have gone together. But I think Parrish is too aware of what happened to Lydia in Eichenhaus to ever let her go back in, which, yeah, smart, smart Parrish. Smart. He also is in kind of this weird position of having watched another hellhound die and then thinking, yeah, but I'm still invincible. Uh, yes. <laughs> which, um, maybe not. Maybe not. Like, the um, confidence of a mediocre white man. I mean, it's just less than mediocre. He does um, randomly catch fire. True. Sometimes more intentionally now. Yeah. Which is cool. He does an eye flash. I was like, that was sexy. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, very hot um, to get people to do what you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, and then when he gets to Eichenhaus... Um, this, the whole mental institution is set up to isolate patients from each other and then also from the outside world. And yeah, we've never talked about this, but the closed ward is literally, um, solitary confinement. Yes. Which is cruel and inhuman punishment. Um, and apparently nobody works at Eichenhaus anymore. It's just Dr. Fenris. Yeah. For some reason. Well, everyone else died. (laughs) Yes. He killed an orderly in a ball of flame. The other dude. Um, but basically Parrish, um, gets down to the closed ward and is isolated from literally anybody else, which is what puts him in that really vulnerable position to be, uh, taken captive and almost murdered. Yeah, and I I think about like all of those other creatures who were murdered by Fenris in the bathroom, which was so upsetting. Yeah. Oh well, god. It's mostly, I think there was. If they were gonna do that, there was just no way for it to not be upsetting. And then using the backdrop of Eichenhaus is always really dubious. Yeah, I f- I'm like, oh my god, are we not done with you yet? But yeah, it it sort of strikes you as like all of these people normally exist in these like singular cells, and now they're all together just to be dead. Mm-hmm. And it it is really tragic and, and says a lot about like how isolated they've been, and then also like how isolated and like festering and like fucked up Fenris has been yeah because it I think that his little monologue talking about like how he's always afraid of his job um it obviously suggests that it is far beyond the Anukate that he has had these feelings about these people but it is the stresses of the Anukate that is pushing him to actually murder them yeah it's a um I'm assuming completely unintentional but pretty um interesting examination of the way that like correctional facilities actually work and the like the feelings that people experience when they work there um of isolation like prisons literally aren't on maps yeah like they are so isolated from the world and of course that breeds that fear and then if you're putting it in the supernatural context of all of these creatures who you know and Monroe even says this like no one should have that much power Mm mm-hmm so you are isolated, you feel powerless. It makes a lot of sense, like you were saying, even without the Anukate, that Fenris would feel that way. Yeah, and I think that in the context of Eichenhaus now functioning more as like a prison than like a mental institution, which they never got that commentary anything close to being interesting or appropriate, is actually a more effective device. And I think that the like your comparison to this is actually how prisons function and how you know people who work in prisons uh understand the people who are incarcerated there um is a a more um intelligent it it sure could be yeah it it could be i don't know if it is no um but I, i mean like the idea that this is less about like ooh they're crazy and more about like i'm afraid of the people i you know keep yeah Um, And especially when he's making that commentary about like, oh, I am a doctor and I used to think that there was a better way to solve our problems. Like he has been convinced clearly over his entire career that that's just not true. And then add to that the supernatural juice of like petrifying fear. Yes. Yep. Um, And it's interesting. I think that you are like... You're watching Parrish there, and you're like, oh my gosh, he's going to die alone. And like, you know that Lydia's going to come and save him. That, yes. that is just not how they kill Parrish. <laughs> um, 
but you are watching two people who are utterly terrified and completely isolated in that moment. And I think that that's sort of a good encapsulation of the season before Lydia shows up and she's like, I heard you through the walkie talkie and screeches. And does she kill him? Um, I don't think so, but she also very nearly does not make it because of all of the flashbacks she has to her time in Eichenhaus, which is almost certainly the time that Lydia has felt the most alone in her entire life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Also, can we talk about how Parrish is literally the only person who has ever brought up the trauma she experienced there? Uh, yeah, I was sitting there thinking, hey, remember when Lydia just had a hole in her head that no one ever discussed ever again? No, no. Although, you know what? Like, her mom has never been, like, posed as somebody who had emotional intelligence, but Parrish from day one has been posed as that, so. Yeah, he was like, you can't go there. That is gonna kill you. That is the bad place. I'll go there <laughs> instead. Much. And then, like, also, gender roles. Save his ass, Lydia. Like. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Love it. Um... Interesting. Interesting that they are also both like still clearly have these like intense feelings for each other, but like it's so it's like somebody poured water on them. Yeah. It's so much. It's I actually think that part of that is just because Lydia has been able to um, vocalize and understand and act on her feelings for Styles because she she's been in love with him for a long time and been incapable of like expressing mm-hmm. it um so you know you kind of latch on to whoever's closest to you at that point which was unfortunately perish well i still also like i love the fact that she's the only one who calls him jordan i i like that too it's very it feels very like intimate and not in, in a way that she knows him in a way that the other people don't you know yes. like he's sort of a helper guy to scott yeah he's a friend to lydia they see him as deputy parish yeah. and Lydia's like my friend Jordan. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. I was happy to see them interact again. Um, especially cause like their whole thing is that they are too, like I've always felt like they're two lone creatures, you know? Yeah. Except for parish surprise, surprise. Shocker. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, Argent. Argent is, um, he's going back to the season three thing of like doing all this shit on like investigating on the sly. Yeah. And it's not really working out in his favor. No. Which is interesting because you think that he would have learned by now or because, you know, perhaps from his line of thinking, because in season three, they were dealing with supernatural creatures or whatever, but Argent is back to selling weapons, which is something we've not talked about in quite some time. Big fucking yikes. <laughs> um, he is an arms dealer. It's uh, never a good job to have. Well, never a moral job to have. Let's say that. Um, and he clearly knows that something is wrong because he's a smart cookie. And, uh, you know, this is what he's been doing for a really long time. But... Argent has um, pretty much never succeeded when he has put himself into that kind of self-isolation and not relied on the resources that he has at hand. And, I mean, Scott does show up and kind of mess up his plan. Yeah, who knows how that would have gone. I I don't know how, you know, skilled that man on the inside was. Yeah, no idea. Um, But, I mean, Scott brings him this, like, new piece of information about you know, the dead hellhound and, uh, they go and they find the bullet, which, um, I think brings Chris much closer to understanding like what has been going on in like his arms dealing with, you know, crazy weekend warrior people trying to buy automatic weapons mm-hmm. than him just trying to figure that out on his own. Um, and it's just a, f- an interesting little example of like his self-isolation is not working. Yeah. In his favor. Yes. And I think we've seen that before. Like, I think Chris, you know, I think that he doesn't really feel like he has anyone. Like, you know, it's, he, I don't think Chris has ever seen himself as part of the pack. No. And he also is one of the characters who really seems to understand that, like, he is an adult and they are children. Yes. Um, because he absolutely treats them with respect and um, they can all work together, but he clearly feels that that is his responsibility as the adult in the room Uh to be doing that work. I agree. I also think it's interesting um, that he says he hasn't branded a bullet since Allison died. 
he clearly doesn't see himself as Argent or McCall. Like, the, no. he, he sort of exists in a liminal space, and I think that's why he's so um, keen or has such an impulse to work alone and then always has to be brought back into the, in, you know, by the pack to be like, okay, but we do have this extra information and could use your help because you're the only person who has the skill that you have that we know. Yeah, he's like, I'm not avoiding you. And it's like, but you, you were. But you were. So you were. You could text me back. Takes, it takes two seconds. Liar. Liar. Um, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about uh, Monroe, and then we'll get into our conversation about Liam. Um, Monroe is clearly isolated and very lonely, and her way of dealing with that is try- is by like trying to sort of indoctrinate people into her cause, and that's why she's trying to set up these meetings with all of the kids in school to be like, do you believe what I believe? Do you feel what I feel? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of insidious, but also like very apparent that she has nobody. That's why she's talking to her high school students about it. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting to me the way that her um, violence is portrayed because you looking at her you would not automatically think that that's a person who would stab somebody with a lacrosse stick yeah which is what she ends up doing um and it's really interesting to see the way that it's played where she like you know see she has so much fear um for all of these supernatural creatures and she is lashing out with violence that kind of turns out to feel pretty good yeah um, because her isolation is breeding this like crazy fear and, um, genuine feeling that she is right. Yeah. Like you were saying, trying to get all of the other, the children, the children of the school yeah. on her side. Of the corn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. I think like she is so like isolated that like acting on something in a way that feels like it's validating is infectious. And I think that that again is a symptom of radicalization and how Mm -hmm. isolation, um, often impacts that. Um, and I think, you know, she had, I think this is another thing is that like people often get sucked into hate groups because they're alone and then find like, like-minded people or people who think, like they're like-minded with and then that's how they end up getting indoctrinated and we literally watched that happen right at the end of this episode yes. is that she has been on her own feeling like she's the only person who feels this way and then finally somebody is validating all of those feelings and being like come with me to Candyland, we'll kill all the werewolves yeah. gerard saves her yeah at, i mean literally because he gets brett he keeps brett from killing her mm-hmm. but he also offers her a place within his cult yeah because it's a cult and people who like join cults and shit are always like and like make it out or like make it out on the other like there's people who are like do talk about like life after hate and stuff like people who mm-hmm. left like white supremacist groups talk about like how they were at their lowest point in their lives like they're and that's you know, somebody offered them a place and that's how they ended up there. So the saving her life is physical, but it, there's also like a metaphorical yeah, um, aspect to that too. I, I think I said this last episode, I don't know, but I do not think that Teen Wolf took into account what it looks like when you have the person who's joining the hate group be a black woman. I don't think it's near as subversive or interesting as they think it is. It actually sort of upsets me. I would agree. Um... It also is kind of frustrating to have it be a completely new character because I I could completely understand somebody who has been living in Beacon Hills for the last like two years and going through all of this supernatural experience without understanding it and like slowly piecing things together like the kids who were in the library um, coming to this conclusion and that fear and them them being the first people to kind of get infected with that like evil spirit or whatever, but to have it be someone we've literally never seen before Mm -hmm. feels really unearned and kind of disingenuous. Yeah. It's also, and it's just showing up and having it be that way. Like, I think the good example of this would have been Matt. Yeah. Also because like appropriate that Matt was as crazy as he was because he was a white man. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really not sitting here being like, Matt, like kill all men. That's 
boring and reductive, but like I'm like structurally speaking, and especially for the story they are currently trying to tell. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be a white man. It could be to be a white woman. I don't really care, but like that in particular is really strange, especially like you said, we've never met Monroe. We've, we didn't actually watch her fall into this. There's really, yeah, it just felt like a, this is not smart. We may very well get a backstory on her. I genuinely can't remember. We don't know what happened in this season. Um, But I still just don't think that that's enough to justify the choices. I agree. Um, Let's talk about Liam. Liam um, really wants to be able to isolate, but cannot. Because as we were discussing in our last episode, he has all of this crazy responsibility now. He does. And... A very supportive best friend. Yes. But I think this is the loneliest he's felt in a really long time. Especially since, you know, it's interesting that he brings Brett onto the field with him. Because he doesn't, without Scott, there's really, his friends don't really understand his experience. No, he doesn't have any other werewolves to hang out with. Yeah. Um, And like Scott, you know, kind of had Derek and then he had other werewolves and then he had, you know, somebody like Malia and stuff who's not technically a werewolf, but whatever. She gets it. Yeah. But like Liam without Hayden, especially has Corey who is like the least supernatural supernatural. I mean, um, his powers are cool, but you know, he doesn't really, he doesn't have the, it's not the same wolf instinct. And then Mason who's human. And so he doesn't really have anybody who can sort of, he can help work through this um, feeling where he can't control his powers all of a sudden. And he's going through the mantra again, mm-hmm. um, but he can't, he can't even tell Mason that it's happening. No, um, just Brett, just Brett who notices it happening. And that's why I think it was really smart to bring Brett just because there's nobody else to sort of like balance that. Also, mm-hmm. his sister was there again. Uh, yeah. Lori, Lori. Hi, the, Lori. The blonde. They're both blonde. Um, yeah, it's really interesting to see the two of them interact con- considering um, how long it's been since we've seen Brett. I'm glad they're making nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, when Liam is alone in the locker room, like he beats the shit out of a, a locker door uh-huh. because he's just so out of control. And then men do be punching walls. They do. Like, your drywall is not safe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And when Mason and Corey come in, like, you know, he has desperately tried to hide the door. Like, he throws it under the bench, and he's just like, everything is fine. I'm great. Well, it just occurs to me how embarrassed he is by the fact that he can't control, and that is why he's self-isolating. It's like, feels like a personal failure to be experiencing this. Totally. Which, like, Malia would be like, nah, that shit happens. (laughs) You know, not that he has a relationship with Malia where she would jump in to be helpful, but, like, again... He doesn't really know how to express these feelings to anybody and therefore is lashing out in ways that we haven't even seen since season four. Um, and he says like, oh, nobody else would help me train the freshmen, but Brett doesn't go to their school. Did he really ask anybody else? No, he clearly didn't He ask. clearly just asked Brett because he needed another werewolf to be around him. And Brett has always been like the cool as a cucumber werewolf. Yes. We have never known him to be anything other than that. I mean, he obviously runs after... Monroe because she's trying to murder him but like you know what I'm saying he's the Buddhist werewolf uh Satomi's pack yes is Satomi in this season not that we'd know I don't think so okay I can't remember I'm gonna be really surprised and pleased if she is and she shows up and I don't mean to be like you can be in a room full of people and feel like you're the only one there but I think Liam is literally in a room full of people (laughs) being like I am the only person here who understands me and even Brett brings that up he's like dude Scott is gonna leave you yeah Scott is gonna go and he's not saying that to be daunting he's like you're gonna have to reevaluate how you like control your powers and express yourself and exist in your own little pack yeah yeah because it is very lonely to be the only one of your kind even though like literally you're not yeah but in your practical experience you kind of are now yeah because they keep being like oh well you know you're the alpha when scott leaves but he literally doesn't even have another werewolf in his pack anymore he just has friends. Yeah. Scott bite another dude before he leaves just yeah. to make Liam well, a friend. <laughs> I guess Liam ends up with Theo. Like, it, that's who... He ends up with That Theo. is not what I said. <laughs> like, Theo is... He becomes his responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Are you ready to accuse nose? Sure. Do you have any questions? No, I do not. No, girl. This is real straightforward. Really straightforward. Fun episode. I, it's funny because I was like, oh, I feel like I'm not going to have that much to talk about because I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I do, like, I am confused as to where Monroe got all of her stuff, but considering that I don't know anything, I'm sure we'll know. Hey, also, later you on. can get literally anything on the internet. That is, That's um, what's so scary about the world Very right true. Now. Yeah. Uh, um, do you have any observations? Um, yeah, I... I love a good Mason Liam moment. Um, Mason is just like so excited that eight pack Brett is coming. Yeah. Um, and he's like, this is so stupid. None of these freshmen are going to make first line. And they're all like, we're not going to make first line. line? And Mason's he's like, like, you're all going to totally. make first line. That was so good. Um, I loved when Liam like potato sack carried him out of the locker room to keep him from talking. Yes. Um, Allison being our, Chris's password. I is, feel like we did that in season four with Ariel. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> it's a good callback though because Allison was Scott's password on all of his devices. Oh no, it's a it's a good callback, but I feel like the initial um, shock is worn off. We're like, she is dead. Well, she is dead, but also like um, Scott having Allison be all of his passwords is just funny mm-hmm. because he's like 16, 15 and obsessed with her. Um, and then... It being her dad, it's just like, oh, that's sad. It is really sad. Well, I thought, I think it's emotional. I kind of wish we had a little bit, like I said, like the Ariel thing in season Mm -hmm. four. I wish that we had ever heard Chris, like, call Allison something and then that, like, the pet name be. Yes. That would be great. Um, I loved, it was so frustrating in season five to watch Lydia do her, like, Taekwondo fighting that made absolutely no sense. I'm glad that we've returned to the scream as her primary mode of um, defense. Yes. Because I, I don't know the idea of like using this incredibly feminized thing, like a scream queen, but it being, you know, a weapon. Yeah. I love that. Um, also, this is our first little moment of like Scalia. And um, I put that in my <laughs> observations too. I thought I was like, you guys are both so dumb and so awkward. This is the best. It's so good. And it's also like, it feels like a new relationship. Like we said that they haven't really had this much time to like show emotion toward each other. And I was like, Oh, it feels like baby steps all over again. It's great. Yeah. I wrote in my notes that they are a match made in him, bim heaven. <laughs> they are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> himbo for bimbo. Like himbo for herbo. Yeah. <laughs> A shim bim. <laughs> a shim bim. Yeah. Um, I really, really loved that. And especially because, like, there's really no other avenues for romance in this season except for Theum. <laughs> Which is not an avenue for romance. They just hold hands se. a lot. Um, I feel like if Teen Wolf did, like, because I think it's really hard to be like, Teen Wolf queer baited me because there are canonical queer, queer. relationships. Like, if it was going to, if they were going to do it, it would have been done. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it was an accident th- to be quite honest. <laughs> I think it was an accident too. I think they had completely by accident. We're like, it was a pair of this bears thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but it's nice to have like a little taste of romance because, um, Stidia so consumed six a, yeah. um, even when they weren't together. So now it's nice to have this totally new pairing. Yeah. Um, those are my observations. What would you like to share with the class? Um, I really liked when Theo has the spider and is letting it run up and down his hand because I was like, I don't think that Theo has contact with any living thing right now that mm-hmm. isn't having his windows knocked on by the police. And it felt like briefly for a second the way that people like look at their pets. Yeah. And I was like, this is so incredibly lonely. And sad. And then so it goes sad. into his, his skin. skin. And that was gross. That was gross. But I love that he stabbed himself. Me too. I was like, that's raw. Like, that's cool. And you're cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. very handsome. <laughs> very handsome. Um, everybody, every man on this show is so short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tiny, tiny. I know that's Hollywood. I know it. You know? But, like, Brett is so tall in comparison yeah. to tiny, 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 tiny Liam. Liam. Yeah, yeah. So I, little. I would look gargantuan on the <laughs> Teen Wolf set. Yes. Yeah. We're, we both would. Yeah. I'm an Amazonian woman compared to those fools. Um, I love that. I love lacrosse. There was yeah. no lacrosse last season. I love lacrosse. I love 
literally anything to do with the high school. Yeah. Because I'm like, they are teenagers. They go to school. They play lacrosse. They have normal problems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I miss that. We didn't really talk about that kid who ate the spiders. And then the dead kid in was the locker who him. was not him. Um, I guess he killed that kid. I guess so. And like ate him. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to think about that too hard. Gross. Um, and then my last one was Scalia. Yeah. 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 Um, do you want to give us our pack stats? Pretty minimal. Um, we got a shirt. Yeah. But Parrish wasn't, wasn't <laughs> naked this time. Yeah. We didn't get to do any more, uh, flame retardant shorts discourse. <laughs> I think we may have beaten that horse to um, an early grave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, Parrish yeah. is in more of this season, so we, so we may yet maybe, get another yeah. chance. It just it is so like striking Look, every time. They're just so long. They're Why did so they go long. to the knees? Yeah. Um, we had six eyes, no, Woo-hoo. no claws. Aww. I really thought we were going to get one when Liam was doing his little like lacrosse gloves thing. Um, one shirt, and then we had some pretty egregious like Toyota ad placements um just like shots of the cars pulling into wherever they are pulling into that didn't need to be on the front bumper but they were um and then Nike because everybody's wearing Nike shoes and then we have that egregious siren yeah that counts for two like full Nike but yeah real long siren yep 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 do you have an alpha of the week um you know what? Weirdly enough, I think it's Brett. Yeah. Because Brett really should have just killed Monroe. Um, He, like, took his time out of his day to go help out lacrosse at a school he doesn't even go to. <laughs> and that he actively plays against. Yeah. For Liam. Yeah. Dude, it's funny. Liam probably called him and was like, hey, would you, would you, could you maybe please, could you help me? And Brett was like, this is the saddest phone call I've ever received and showed up. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Um, I, who, who's my off auto week? Malia, maybe? I think hmm. it takes a lot for her to, oh, Lydia, she saves Parrish. Girl That's boss. true. Yeah. Um, I think that wraps it up. If you guys liked this episode, episode, wow, like mush mouth out the wazoo today. If you liked this episode, you can follow us on Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf and our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. If you really like this episode, you can leave us a review on iTunes, leave us five stars and a review and we'll read it out loud and might make fun of you, but mostly we'll be appreciative. If you really, really like this episode, you can buy us coffee, ko-shofi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf or buy our stickers on Redbubble, redbubble.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. Other than that, whew, that speech has gotten so much longer since we started. I'm really impressed every time you do it. Thank you. Other than that, I have been Christian. And I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of the week. Uh, uh, woo!